Good morning, Crosswalk 1030. How are you guys doing? For those of you who didn't understand what he said, he said Uruguay. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't take Spanish in uh, high school. I took uh, German, which has been super helpful. <laughs> no, and it's funny because I did it because my grandmother spoke German. She spoke English too, but she spoke German. And, and so I was like, Mimi, that's what we called her. I said, Mimi, I'm taking German. And she's like, oh, great. Say something. I said something. She's like, that's not German. <laughs> and I never spoke to her in German again. So, so no. Um, yeah, we're really excited about the opportunity. We think that God is moving in that direction. So we want you to connect, be with us April 30. It's also the, um, it's also our, our, our new pastor, Ron Aguilera, that you guys heard about last week. We're really excited that he's coming. He'll be in town. They'll be looking for places to live and that sort of thing. So, um, so also, if you know of any places to, to rent in Loma Linda or Redlands, they're looking for a spot. So if you do know of something, let me know and I can let him know. But um, they'll be here that weekend, and so he'll be with us for that meeting. We're excited. Please register so we know how many people will come, and um, we'll see what God is up to. It's, it is a really exciting place to think that God may be moving and we're just following along to figure out what he wants us to do. So we're excited about that. Um, last week, I apologize for not being with you, but it was pretty cool actually, because I had good friends preaching in almost every single one of our campuses. We had Pastor Sam Lenore here. Wasn't he just amazing as he always is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam was here and Alex Bryan, my buddy, was out in Chattanooga. And I got to be um, just incredibly blessed being at the launch of our weekly services at our LA campus in the Arts District down in LA, which was just incredible, man. It, uh, it was so good. We, like we packed the house. It was standing room only. They started to bring benches from outside. I don't know where they were getting them. It's like they were just walking around the streets, picking up benches and bringing them in. I don't know what was going on, but they are in their second weekly service this week. So we're praying for them. We hope that God is just, you know, doing amazing things out there. We believe that God calls us to certain places at certain times, and LA is one of those places we felt God has called us to for a long time. And it's interesting because we started out in foothills like San Dimas, right? And we moved to Arcadia, and we just kind of kept moving west. And finally, we ended up in the Arts District in LA, which is just such a, such a cool place and such a need there. And I was, I was thinking about it as I was thinking about kind of the whole ecosphere, ecosphere of crosswalk, as we call it, and, um, and realized that last week was a gift to have not just my friends pastoring and speaking in different campuses, but, you know, that God has been blessing so much. And he's just given us this, these crosswalk communities as a, as a gift. Not that there's not incredible amounts of work, but they've been just an incredible gift. And I was thinking, man, this is a gift I really like. Um, but as I was thinking about the sermon this week and, the, and what we're going to say, um, I'm wondering, have you ever received a gift that you didn't want? But those are tough, right? Those are tough. You're like, oh, thank you. I was in fifth grade and our teacher made this big deal, like a big deal about us getting gifts. And she's like, we've got gifts for you guys today, especially the boys. And you know, you're in fifth grade and you're like, yeah, we're getting a gift. We're looking at the girls like, yeah, you're not getting the gift that we are. And then they took the girls all out of the room and they brought all the boys from the other classrooms in. And so we're all sitting there and we're like, yeah, this is awesome. You know what they gave us? Deodorant. Which was a gift, just maybe not for us as much as for everyone else on the planet, right? I didn't understand that at the time. I was super disappointed. Now I've had, you know, fifth grade boys that live in my house and it is a gift. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Sometimes, sometimes they're not gifts that you want, but they're gifts that you need. And then sometimes, you know, growing up, we always did, um, we always did stockings for Christmas. And there were two gifts that were always going to be in my stocking. Two gifts, socks, which are disappointing when you're a young person thinking you're going to get Legos. And oranges. Yeah, which would be great if I lived in Minnesota in the middle of the winter in 1844. <laughs> but I lived in Southern California with a bunch of orange trees outside. So like, mom would be like, Merry Christmas. I'm like, there's 9,000 of them out there that I'm gonna have to pick later to give as gifts to other people. That's not a gift. Um, Sometimes you get gifts you don't want. But in these scriptures that we're studying today, we see three gifts that we do want. Today we're going to talk about three different gifts that Jesus gave to his disciples and in turn have given to us. It's a big portion of scripture. We won't be reading the whole thing. But you're going to know these scriptures because these are the parts of the story that we know so well. And the first gift, I'm not going to try and hide it or do a big reveal. The first gift that we are given is the gift of service that Christ has given to us. The first gift that he gave is service. And it's a model for living as a follower of Christ. It begins in John 13, 3. The story is that they are in the upper room having dinner together. Now, normally we call this the Last Supper, right? But in John, it doesn't mention the communion as it does in some of the other gospels, not because it's not important, but because it's a well-worn road that has already been written by the time John is writing his gospel. So it begins John 13, verse 3, like this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, this is important for us to know because there's a recognition that Jesus has that, like, he's, he's king over all. Like, God has given him all authority. And when, when we talk about God giving somebody all authority, we're talking about God giving Jesus all authority over Everything, everything that's been created, everything that's to be created, everything that you can see as far as you can see it and way beyond. So when he recognizes that he has this position, when he recognizes he has this power and this authority, he does something. What he does is he gets up from the table, he takes off his robe, he wraps a towel around his waist. Now, you know where this is going. But normally, when people get promotions, they don't think, I'm going to serve. What happens when people get promotions? Some become servants, but most become kind of tyrants, right? You've done it. You've all worked with people, and there's a promotion, and your friend gets it, you know, the person that you go and get coffee with at 1030 in the morning. And then all of a sudden, you're not as interested in getting coffee with them anymore because they like to remind you that, well, I'm the supervisor now. And you're not mad that they got the job. You're happy for them in front of them. <laughs> but they begin to be a little bit of tyrants because position often means power. And it didn't say position. It didn't say that Jesus was given the position overall. It said Jesus was given authority all overall. Because while position means power, authority means responsibility. So Jesus was responsible for them. And so he served them in his authority. And it's kind of a weird flex. He's like, okay, I'm in charge of all of this. Let me serve you. 
Maybe it's a weird flex, but it's the best one. He didn't see authority as power, but opportunity to serve. So you got to ask yourself, why do you want power? Have you ever asked that? Why do you want power in your job? Why do you want power in your position in society? Even in the way we serve at church. I've worked at churches where there are people who definitely want to be in charge. And those are the people you're like, why? Churches are crazy places with crazy people in Jesus. I mean, they're great places. We've said it before, churches as an organization is a hot mess, but church as an organism, oh, it's beautiful. It's the expression of the kingdom of God, which is messy. Why do you want power in your life? How do you serve it? Jesus had the power, but he used it to serve. How did he do it? He poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around them. By the way, next week on Friday night, there's going to be an opportunity for you to wash each other's feet. And I know some of us are not really comfortable with it. Some of us are grossed out. Um, but, but it's an opportunity to serve. We put it out every Easter. Not too many people do it, interestingly enough. It's kind of fallen out of fashion. But I would encourage you next week when you come on Friday night, and you will come on Friday night because it's going to be a phenomenal weekend, that you take some time to kneel down and serve the people that you love in the way that Jesus did. It is a small gift. It is a simple kindness. But don't underestimate the gift of small things. The way that we serve one another. The way that we care for one another. The way that we do it without consideration of position or power. When you may be the most powerful person in all of our community, but when you walk in here, you are just a brother and sister in Christ. And we serve one another in that way. How we lead in the small things is how we lead in the big ones. I love companies that say no job is too small when they mean it because they're willing to serve. I always tell my kids, when you date someone, and you've heard this before, when you date someone, watch how they treat their servers because that will tell you the character of the person. Watch how they tip. Watch how they treat them. The way we treat the people under us says a lot about the character that we actually have inside of us. The way Jesus served the world was to get down on his knees and to wash their feet. But you know what happens, right? Jesus goes to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And it's not like a, hey, are you going to wash my feet too? It's like, a, you're going to wash my feet? It's incredulous, incredulity. He was, he was not interested in that. In fact, he was embarrassed because we get embarrassed when someone of authority condescends or bows low. Or like, it's amazing when you see someone, a president of a university, when there's a little kid and they kneel down in their suit or in their dress and they talk to a little kid. We're always like, oh, that's amazing. You know why it's amazing? Because they don't do it most of the time. Because once we get power and authority, we don't serve. We should be served. But Jesus doesn't believe in power like that. Jesus believes that the greatest authority and the greatest power is to take responsibility for the people that you serve. And so Jesus replies to Simon Peter, you don't understand now, but someday, someday you will. Don't you hate it when your parents said that? It's the worst, right? Well, you're young. And you're like, I can't wait to get old and know. And then you're old and you know, and you're like, I wish I didn't know. It was better to be ignorant. But when you're young, you just want to know. And he's like, listen, you don't understand. You don't understand, but someday you'll get it. It's okay. There's a long game here. It's not, it's not today. It's forever. 
and you'll get a chance to know. No, Peter protests, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. Like, I love how dramatic Peter is. We've all got that friend, right? He's like, I hate Taco Bell. And you're like, that's a lot of hate. <laughs> it's just beans and rice. Like, it's, it's okay. You don't have to like it, but you don't have to hate it. Peter was one of those guys. He just, he felt like he's passionate about everything. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replies, well, unless I wash my feet, you're not going to belong to me. Peter was embarrassed. He protests. Jesus goes, no, this is part of it. But you see, it's humbling to accept such a massive gift, even if it's on such a small scale. I mean, it's one thing when somebody gives you a gift. You're like, hey, thank you, appreciate it, that's so much. It's another thing when someone gives you a gift that's so overwhelming, you know you don't deserve it. You know you shouldn't even take it, but they insist. It's embarrassing, you don't know what to do. All you wanna do is pay it back or somehow be worthy of the gift. When we realize that we don't deserve it, that's when we begin to understand it. Perhaps this is why we talk about grace so often, to understand how little we deserve it, but what a powerful gift it really is. And that, by the way, should lead us to an incredible amount of grace, not to arrogance. Simon Peter gets it. I love how he's like, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if you want to belong to me, I got to do it. And he's like, then wash my hands and head as well. It's like, Peter, that pendulum is swinging so far. Just like normalize a little bit. Be like, this is weird. Okay, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. Wash it all. <laughs> Jesus replied, hey, man, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples, you're clean, but not all of you. In the midst of this incredible service, in the midst of this incredible interaction, Jesus foreshadows saying things are not well. Not all of you are gonna receive this gift because not all of you can see what a gift it really is. You're too wrapped up in the things that you're doing. You're too wrapped up in your own plans, your own machinations, and the own, your, 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 own, your own desire for me. But we leave the story here because the understanding of the gift that we have just been given of service and the model that it is for us to serve, especially as we gain power in our lives, as we gain authority, is important. But it leads us to the next gift. Gift number two which is salvation. This is the second gift we see in these texts. And this is a big one. It comes after the first. Because the truth is the second gift is a continuation of the first, a continuation of the service that God has for his people. It starts in John 14.1. It says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So he's continuing to talk, right? Talking to his disciples. And this is what he says. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. So let me ask you the most like old time preachery question I have ever asked you at Crosswalk Church. Is your heart troubled? That sounds so old timey, doesn't it? Is your heart troubled? There's a lot to be troubled by. There's a, 
a horrific war happening that probably leans towards genocide. There's the stuff we deal with, with the fear of inflation, with division, sickness, just a general exhaustion from the last few years. Is your heart troubled? Jesus says, listen, don't, don't, don't let it be. Trust in me, trust in the Father. Same thing. But isn't this statement a little too simple? It's like that, you remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Really? Nobody remembers it? Somebody's going to whistle it. Don't worry. But you're going to have it in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. So when this song was going around, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I was a teenager. I was listening to Guns N' Roses. I'm not listening to Bobby McFerrin. You know, welcome to the jungle. Don't worry, be happy. This doesn't go together. And my dad's like, I got tickets to go see Bobby McFerrin. I was like, why? That's a dumb song. He's like, he's an incredible musician. I'm like, mm, I don't know. So we go because I'm a teenager and I don't have a choice. So we go and sure enough, he walks out and he's singing, don't worry, be happy. And it's horrific to me. But then he goes, it was actually funny. He's like, you guys tired of that song? And everyone's like, can we say yes? He's right there. Yes. He goes, me too. Let's do something else. And he brought 30 voices out. And for the next two hours, he did incredible pieces of classical music with just voices as an orchestra. It was amazing. And I realized, oh, sometimes a simple thing has a lot of depth underneath it. But what if we actually trusted this simple statement? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, trust in the Father as well. Could we just take Jesus of faith value, face value? Maybe we should. And then he goes on to get to the deeper point. He says, listen, there is, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Right? He's, he's like, listen, there's more than enough. I love it when people are like, I'm going to have a mansion in heaven. It doesn't say that anywhere in scripture. It says you're going to get a room. That's it. And some of you are like, well... I'm a little old to be living with my parents. I'm 70, right? Listen, in, in ancient Israel, when the family expanded, they built another room on the house, right? And we're using that metaphor. Jesus is using that metaphor. And he says, in my father's house, there's many rooms. You get one. And I've thought about that for a long time because I like me a nice house. But man, I would rather be in the father's house because you know what I get? I get proximity to God. When I want to talk to God, I don't have to go down the road. I don't have to go around the block. I don't have to go from the other side of town. I don't have to get on a plane. I don't know how heaven's laid out, but stick with me here. If I'm in my father's house, I get to go to the kitchen where he's making coffee. And he will be making coffee. Probably oat milk. Seems on brand for God. There's so many things I want to say that I'm just going to... 
There's so many jokes, it's not appropriate. Right? And then Jesus says this. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. You'll always be with me where I am. This is a good promise. You know what this is? This is a promise of salvation, but it's also a promise of eventual proximity. We will be reunited with him together. And then he says, and you know where I'm going. He's like, listen, I'm coming back, but you know I'm going to leave. I got to leave, but I'm coming back. This is the hope of salvation, right? He's like, I'm coming back. I'm going to save you. I'm coming back to be with you. Right? And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, listen, you know where I'm going. And Thomas immediately is like, no, we don't. We have no idea where you're going. You talk about stuff we don't understand all the time. So how can we know the way? Like, <clears throat> it's so easy for us to read that and think, like, why, how do they not three years with this guy? How do they not know? We say the same stupid stuff all the time. We, we constantly constantly misunderstand what God is saying. We, we, it, it baffles me that even I, not even I, I like totally don't know where God is going sometimes. I'm totally confused. So we can't be mad at Thomas. It's hard for us to get our heads around something so big as grace, so big as the promise of a second coming. Because it's too much and we know we don't deserve it. So Jesus goes, listen, let me make a really big statement that you need to understand. I am way truth and life. I'm not the way, the truth, and the life, even though that's how we translated it. The Greek is more, I am way, every way. Every place you could go, I am there. I am truth, everything that you know to be true about God, about humanity, about the planet, about the universe, I'm that too. And the fact that anything has life at all is because of me as well. He didn't just say, I'm a way, a truth, and a life. He said, I am way, truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Because I am all those paths to God. We see this statement often as a statement of exclusivity, but it is not. It is a statement of inclusivity. We have used this statement very poorly. We have used this statement in arrogance at times to say, if you don't believe like me, you don't get to see God. Do you know that this statement should be the best motivation for us to show God? Because if this is true, that we can see in the totality of who God is through Jesus, then he needs to constantly be the name on our lips. Always. This is why I tell you all the time, go and bring people. Go and talk to people. Be a witness. Share what God has done with you. I say that because I want people to know who Jesus is because in turn they will know who God is. There's a direct connection to the Father of all through Jesus. But it is not a statement saying, if you don't think like me, you don't get to come into heaven. Jesus is not standing in heaven in front of the gates trying to keep you out. Jesus is the invitation to heaven. I don't know how many times I have to say it. And then he says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He trusts that they will get it. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and we'll be satisfied as if he hadn't been paying attention. 
to the discussion that was being had. And so what does Jesus say? He says, listen, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? You should know. Don't you believe? And then he starts to use some really particular language. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. He's talking about proximity. God can't get closer to you because I'm here. I'm right next to you. You've seen the Father. You've seen it all. This is important. The theological word, and I've used it a ton, is perichoresis. It's a perichoretic relationship. So close to be as one. He's like, I am, the Father is in me. I am in him. And you are right here. You've seen everything you need to see. Just believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. He's saying, I'm going to come back for you. This is salvation. I'm never going to leave you alone. And this is a continuation of the service that he did when he knelt down in front of them and he washed their feet. The way that he's serving them is the way that he will not abandon him. The way that he has served us is the way that he will not abandon us. But then there's the third gift, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to move quickly now. John 14, 15 is where we're jumping to. It says, if you love me, obey my commands. Seems reasonable right? We don't always do it. But, you know, the question that people ask is, well, what are his commands? I mean, there's a lot of them out there. There's two. They're very simple. What are his commands? Love God and love one another. If you don't remember them, we've put it into a nice little phrase, love well. It means love well. It means love God and love your neighbor. Love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole spirit, everything that you are. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself and as you have been loved by Jesus. I was, I was wearing, I had a meeting this week, a business meeting this week, and uh, it was early in the morning. It was like six in the morning, so I was a little late. Um, and so I throw one of the, our Lovewell caps on, and I pop up on Zoom. And the guy on the other end is like, Lovewell, what's that? I like that hat. What is that? And I had just finished writing this sermon. So I'm like, well, it's our mission statement, it's our vision statement, and it's what we believe God's commands to be. Like, I got really preachy really quick in a really inappropriate situation. He didn't know he was talking to a preacher, I don't think. And uh, I was like, yeah, and we believe it's the command that God gave us to love God and love one another. And he's like, I want one of those. Can I get one of those? And I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, you got t-shirts? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm not trying to make a sale, <laughs> but I am. Um, <laughs> These are his commands. This is the fulfillment of the law, to love well. And then he says this, and I will ask my father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I got to tell you, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of an even greater proximity in his absence. You understand that, right? This is Jesus saying right before I am right here, you have seen the father through me, and I'm standing right in front of you. Salvation is coming. I am here. Everything you need to know, I have given you. I have served you. I've told you I was coming back for you. And then he says, and I'm going to leave and be closer to you. Right? He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you. He's talking about himself. And later, he will be in you. Our familiarity with Jesus makes the Holy Spirit an old friend. And then he says, no, 
I will not abandon you as orphans. That's a, a, a calling back to the, to the second coming. I'll not abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. I love this promise. And I got to tell you, by his leaving, he gives us a greater gift of proximity and a promise of reunion. And it is him coming to us. You know, in the whole of the Old Testament, we see covenant after covenant of God coming to his people, God condescending, God coming low to us, not us coming to him. Every covenant, every promise that God made, we were like, that sounds great. He says, I want you to be my people. And, and we're like, yes, that's awesome. Let's do it. And we cheat on him. And then he comes down again and he says, I want to make another covenant with you. Whether it's the Abramic covenant or the Noahic covenant or the Mosaic covenant or the Davidic covenant. They like the ICs at the end of all these words. Or the Solomonic covenant. Whether it's all those covenants, it's always God coming down to us saying, I want to be with you. And then finally, he's like, you don't get it. I'm going to come down and do your part. He comes down as Jesus and does his part. And before he leaves, he goes, listen, I still want to be closer to you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave and be in you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. This is the, this is the, the paradox of faith in Jesus. By death you live, by absence you indwell. Doesn't make sense. It was never supposed to make sense was supposed to be the most overwhelming expression of love. So I ask, are these gifts that you don't want or gifts that you do want? Of course you want these gifts. Service, salvation, proximity with God through the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts that you want. And we're moving into a an Easter week. And if you're studying along with the series guides, we're going to unpack that week together. And the next week we're going to come and we're going to worship and we're going to do communion and we're going to wash each other's feet. And on Saturday, we're going to talk about what it's like to be silent when Jesus is not with us. When Jesus was in the grave and there was fear and there was anxiety and there was a breaking and a brokenness that we had to live with. At the end of that service, we're going to pitch towards hope, knowing that God wouldn't leave us there. And on Sunday at 6.30 in the morning, yes, you're going to come and you're going to worship with us and we're going to celebrate the absolutely overwhelming resurrection of Jesus. And I got to tell you, there's people that are lined up already for baptism. We're going to be able to baptize them outside this next weekend. And I'm not going to make a hard pitch during the service. The way we formatted it next week is a little bit different. But if these are gifts that you want and you've never received them before, I'll just make a call this week that we want you to get in touch with us because we'd love to walk you on that journey, whether it's being baptized next week or whenever. And if you started your journey with Christ a long time ago and it's just become a lifestyle rather than a commitment, you may want to rediscover that through a rebaptism again. There's biblical precedent for that. But through it all, I want you to know this. God has never abandoned us. 
from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end, He serves us in a way that no one with that kind of authority should serve. But He did. And His promise of salvation is real and true and without blemish. And His gift of the Holy Spirit is living in you today. We experience it when we worship, when we fellowship together, when we pray. We recognize His presence overwhelmingly in our lives. So my hope for you is that this Easter season is a rejuvenation of the faith that you agreed two years ago, or it is a rediscovery of new truths that catapults you into a new experience of God or that it's a recognition of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and it is why your life is such the blessing that it is to you and to other people. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in Jesus as you also trust in the Father because these gifts that He's given are not only overwhelming, not only undeserved, not only all we need, but they are specifically catered for you because God loves you in your particularity and He wants to be in proximity to you, so close to be as one. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, may, uh, may You just continue to convict our hearts. There's almost no way we can say thank You enough. But Lord, may we recognize these gifts. May we live these gifts. May we see these gifts. And Lord, may we never keep them for ourselves, but give them away and away and away so that others might experience the great gifts that you have for them as well. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.